Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, a podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listeners. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the tech industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Now, before I introduce the guest of episode 23, I do want to remind everyone that Black Tech Unplugged is the official media partner for the Black Women Talk Tech Conference. That conference takes place in New York City on February 27th through March 1st. We'll be bringing you live updates from the conference and much more. And for supporting Black Tech Unplugged, I've got a promo code for you. So use code BTU2019 at checkout and you'll get a small discount on your ticket. I hope to see some of you there and meet you guys in person. Now, on this episode of Black Tech Unplugged, I have Sabitra Wilson. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with her and her work. She is an up-and-coming tech rock star. Her company, Exempt Me Now, and that is her tech startup. And on this episode, you're going to hear what me and Sabitra call keeping it real. And Sabitra often thinks that she keeps it too real, and I encourage it all the time. On this episode, we're going to talk about her beginnings, being a first-generation college student, We're also going to talk about how she got into business and how she created her own businesses, as well as her favorite topic, which is funding. And let me tell you, she gives the lowdown on the process of getting funding, especially as a black woman in tech. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts today. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone. I have Savitra Wilson on this episode. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Let's get started. You've been on this journey. I want people to understand how you got to where you are today. So let's start with your early years. So you were a first-generation college student. And for my Mm -hmm. listeners who are first-generation college student, I want you to describe that experience. Yes. So I grew up about 45 minutes outside of New Orleans. My mother is from New Orleans. My father is from a small city called Hammond, right outside the city. And, you know, I grew up going to high school, really with the intentions of, okay, if you were a teacher or maybe a lawyer, and you made it out of Hammond, you kind of made it, right? Mm -hmm. So when I went off to college, I did so via having received a lot of grants and a lot of scholarships. And I didn't really know anything outside your traditional career paths, right? And then when I was in college, I ended up in the Manship School of Journalism. And so as a first year college student, no one ever told me that, hey, you know, journalism was a career path, right? You could actually go to journalism and become a producer or a writer or, you know, you name it. And so I changed my major from psychology. So originally I wanted to be a criminal psychologist to a journalism major. And so ironically, although most people know me from the two companies that I started later, my first company was an online newspaper connecting black students at Southern University, which was the HBCU in Baton Rouge and LSU where I attended. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the idea that you could be anything you wanted to be I think for me, because I didn't really have that many role models growing up who have been, who have gone to college, et cetera, it was like a new sound path for me. It was just like everything was new. The whole world was new when I went to college. Speaking of new, and since you didn't have anyone that went before you, how did you adjust when you got to college? 
Yeah. So I've always been just a person that I clearly knew what I did not know. Uh, I think like that's half the battle. And so I sought out resources very early on, student support services. I sought out people who could like help me understand what were the things that I needed to do to be successful in college because I didn't have that at home. I didn't have anyone to like tell me like these are the courses you should take. Uh, these are things you should look out for. And then a lot of things I just learned by trial and error. So for some of my listeners that might be first generation college students or might not have anyone who can they can turn to for advice about going to college, what are some tips or advice that you have for them? Yeah. So going back to like the idea of networking and meeting people, joining organizations, talking to your teachers, actually going to their office hours, right? <laughs> and this seems like simple stuff, but you'll be so surprised how many people just don't go those extra few steps to ensure that they network. And I do believe that the students that do do that, people really look out for you. Um, and when it comes to whether that's a, a scholarship you can get on campus or uh, recommending a student for a trip somewhere, those teachers and those people remember you. But also getting involved in extracurricular activities. You know, I joined the sorority. I was also involved in NAACP. I was uh, involved in Black Student Union. You know, that was just like a natural thing that I gravitated towards that not everyone does. But you have to like push yourself out of your comfort zone. I totally agree. But I will admit I was one of those students that didn't go to the office hours. And I learned that later <laughs> because no one tells you to go to these no office hours. No one tells hours. you. No one tells you. <laughs> So I went to grad school and I'm like, you know what, this makes a lot more sense now that, you know, your eyes open up after a few years, but no one tells you to do these things. So definitely, I think you gave some great advice there. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, no, I think that it's important. So you did mention you did not start off getting a tech degree. You actually went to school for mass communications and journalism. So what was yeah. your first taste into the tech industry? So, you know, my background was I got a degree in journalism and history. And so I was going to like merge those two degrees. And not only did I want to be a professor, but I also wanted to do like historical film documentaries. So like that was what I was kind of set out to do. And when I graduated undergrad at the end of my graduate program in history, I had the opportunity to work for a nonprofit that was heavily involved in advocacy for children who've been in and out of foster care. And so I kind of led some different initiatives with that organization. And that actually gave me the opportunity to start my first company, which was a consulting firm for nonprofit management and consulting. So that's what I did. I helped uh, not only nonprofits, but those who were in corporate philanthropy and those who had private foundations are starting initiatives and curriculum design programs get off the ground. And I was doing that consulting, not only in Louisiana, where I'm from, but all across the country, just based on people referring me. And so I was like, okay, you know, this could be something. But at the time, I was like 22. I launched my company to the public officially when I was 23 and kind of started maneuvering forward from there. And I started, like, hired my first person to help me, and we began to build this company. And so from that company, early on, we were helping nonprofits come online. So going through the exemption process, helping them 
by providing capacity to their organizations, whether that was uh, anything from like websites to building out their curriculum, their mission statements, you name it. And then we were also working with large private foundations, providing technical assistance and supporting their grantees so that they could be successful with the money that they were receiving. And so as that company began to grow, I started to notice that it's very difficult to work with small nonprofits. If anyone's ever worked with a small nonprofit, particularly we were a business, right? So we were strapped for resources ourselves, the professional services organization. So there was only so much we could do. But I felt that there was opportunity if we could essentially productize the service that we were offering, both on helping nonprofits become exempt. And then also productize our consultancy services and deliver it on demand through a subscription platform that it may be worth something exploring. And so how I got into tech was I spun off a service line of that previous company that I was going to just get rid of and set out to try to productize the service and productize consultancy work that we were doing. And so that's how I ventured into tech. I want to start with your first company. So what was the name of the company? Solid Ground Innovation. And so you're a young woman. You're starting this company right out of college. What are some of the struggles that you went through, especially with building up your team? Yeah. So, you know, it goes back to like when I said about going into college as a first generation college student, you just don't know what you don't know. And, right. you know, here I was, um, <laughs> 20, early 20 something year old going out, asking people, like trying to get people to give us contracts and, I always said that I was like a triple threat and not in a good way. I was black, I was a woman, and I was young, right? And so mm-hmm. those were three hurdles that it took me a long time to get over. And then generally, like some of the things, some of the barriers lifted because I gained just more capabilities, right? As I worked, I just strengthened my skill set by actually getting, you know, clients and um, being able to service them and learn and and learn to build a company in general. And so like my first hire was actually my line sister. My first hire was my line sister. She was in grad school. And I was like, man, I'm starting this company. Like I, you should come on and help me kind of lead logistics and operations because that's what she was great at on campus. And mm-hmm. that's what happens with companies started by white people. They, they are started, these guys are in their dorm rooms. And they're networking with their friends and they come together and they start companies together. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, me getting my license to come on board, that, that was just something like people just didn't, they weren't, people weren't doing that. That looked like me. And so we started to build a company, then I hired an assistant, we started to get more clients, then I hired another person and really just bootstrapped the company from there just based on consultancy projects that we were getting and contracts that we were just landing. So for young women who look like us and want to start a company, what advice that you have for them? Because you've already been through that process. So, you know, someone asked me recently, they're like, would you have went and worked for a company like the one you started before you started your company? And mm-hmm. although I had like the general basis of like, knowledge and skill set to do the work, I told them that I can't guarantee that I would have done it differently. But I don't think it's a bad idea for people to go get experience somewhere before they actually dive off into something else similar and start their own company. Because I learned a lot of hard lessons, a lot of hard lessons that would have been avoided had I went and worked into a a company like the one I went and started. And I've had that conversation with others um, who 
did the same thing that I did. And we both kind of looked back on it like, yeah, maybe we would have went out and got some experience in a company similar to our one that we wanted to start. But if that isn't the case, then the biggest thing that you need to know is one, you have to have the capabilities and the skill set to execute on the things that you're selling, right? So you have to have that confidence. You have to have the ability to execute. Like that's just like first and foremost. Um, two, you have to deliver the things that you said you're going to deliver. And so, you know, whether that's under-promising and over-delivering, whatever that is, you need to make sure that happens. And three, you need to network. A lot of times it's about like who you know, who gives you the opportunity, who says yes, but you're going to need people to tell you yes and to sign off on things. And you know what? You've talked about networking from your college experience and also from your first company. So I have to ask for you, I've seen you on social media and you light up a room, you know how to network. What are some networking tips you would give to my listeners? So here's the thing about me. I'm naturally an introvert. Really? People like, yes. People have no idea. (laughs) Um, I am, I was a kid who my mom had put on like tank top and I was just definitely shy as a kid. And I hid in the car all day because I didn't want to come out and because my arms were showing, you know, (laughs) super shy kid, um, quiet kid. And so naturally, I was an introvert growing up. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's something that I tell people that you have to like get out of your comfort zone and you have to turn it on. Like sometimes there are events and like, opportunities that I know I need to go to, even if it's to get that one contact, right? And right. I have to like exhale as an introvert, <laughs> put my face on and like, let's do it, you know? <laughs> like I got goals to me things to accomplish. And so we have to do the things that we just don't generally want to do sometimes and like really push ourselves to to show up and be present and and research. Yes. I'm a big proponent of doing that. Not just going in blind. Know who you're trying to walk up to and know who you're trying to connect with before you even get to the event. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as an introvert, because I'm an introvert too, <laughs> Who would have guessed that? Who would have guessed that? Really? I just always need to recharge after all these events. Some days I'm just like, you know what? I need a moment of just quiet. Now let's continue on in your journey. So you start your first company, you have SGI, and then you launch Exempt Me Now, which is your tech startup spinoff. So explain to my listeners what Exempt Me Now is exactly. Yeah, so we launched Examine Now to the public in November 2016. So yeah, this month we made two years officially. And we initially set out to do something really simple, hence the name of Me Now. And that was to essentially verbal text the process, um, incorporate their nonprofit. Um, that it takes people to incorporate their nonprofit. Don't realize that there are like 19 different types of exempt organizations, right? So you have charter schools, healthcare clinics, faith-based organizations, chambers of commerce. At one time, the NFL was a nonprofit organization, right? And so the space is pretty significant. And so we wanted to reduce the IRS 101 hours. We took our software uh, and reduced that time to 10 hours or less. And so that's what we started out to do with Exempt Now. But since the vision for the company has drastically expanded and has marked us into just like this one-off 
service to more of a SaaS business model. And that, mm-hmm. that's primarily through our subscription service of ongoing um, productized services. And so the subscription platform uh, exists in really three different tiers. One, for those organizations who have created a new nonprofit with us, they can access a base subscription, which essentially gives them all the key tools that they need to stay compliant, to manage their organization, and be just more efficient and sustainable as an organization. And then we have a premier tier for organizations that are a little bit larger. And then our enterprise product is targeted towards those deployed capital. So think cities, private foundations, and corporations. And so that essentially like what we are building. So yeah, we're excited about where we came from, but we're more excited about where we're going. And because you started off in the government sector, what was like your reaction or expectation when you're starting this tech spinoff? Yeah, so for us, I don't have any necessarily expectations. We knew that we had an opportunity. And I also felt that, hey, we're in this space where technology is disrupting every single area that we can imagine. And either we're going to be disrupted by it or we're going to be a disruptor. And so it was very important for me to be on the uh, disrupting side, right? Not being disrupted by technology, the changing landscape of our space. Um, then I right. also saw that giving the new nonprofit the deployment of capital was just drastically in the space and wasn't like, like over decades, continuously increasing, irregardless of economic downturn, right? And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we have to, this is an opportunity that we could capitalize on as well as make a huge social impact on the world and deliver the things that we felt we were strong in through a product that can be done nationally, right? And not just client by client, you know, one by one. Right. So your role as a founder, you're technically a non-technical founder? Yes. And so for you, do you feel like that in any way has affected your growth of your business? Early on, then it impacted me early on when I went out to raise money. Okay. When I went out to raise capital, no one to essentially invest in non-technical founders. That's what it means like the, the theory, right? So let's jump into that arena because you have had a lot to say. And I know you've had a lot of experience in the last few years with trying to get investment. So let me start by saying, so you had zero investment and you had no connections when you started, which you previously said, but now you're raised a lot of money for your tech company. How did you go to zero to a hundred so quickly? So that's the thing. I didn't go zero to a hundred so quickly. Um, <laughs> okay. So like, Next year, and so that's what it seems like, right? I think like we get the impression that people have become, and some people, I have seen some situations where people have become like rockstars overnight. That wasn't my story. Like next year, my first company turns 10, 10 years old. So, so zero to 100, if 10 years you build a 100, then. I don't know. That's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty. Um, But like my, like I started my first business next year, be 10 years. And so like I've been an entrepreneur and in this space for like 10 years. Like I've seen like the awards, awards, all other things for the past 10 years and have had like consistent success for 10 years. And so like when people see me now who know me from my other company and like the work that I've done in Louisiana, et cetera, they're like, Savitra, like you've been out here, like in the mud, like working, like trying to make things happen. 
um, hiring role, like creating pathways for other people of color, for black people, for women. Like you've really been out here for like a solid decade doing this. But because of social media, because of my tech company, it may seem like this stuff happened overnight, but it really didn't. I think like that's important. It's like running the company, building the company. And because I came from a company where raising capital just wasn't like, you know, that wasn't even a topic. And for black business in general, being capitalized, every sector being capitalized, getting phones, whatever you need to like, run and operate a tough company, that's not just a tech business thing that black business owners face every day. Um, and so in tech, is raising capital, right, to get to what you're trying to scale a company. Um, and I think that we kind of put probably too much emphasis on raising money and not enough on like building strong companies that return work for people. I love that you mentioned that you've been in this game for 10 years, but I think that we as a people always, when we see something on social media or Twitter, it's like, oh, you, you know, you came up really quick. But in reality, people usually are putting in the work for over, I would say at the minimum over five years, but usually it's yep. something that someone has been working on for a long time. And I just want people to understand that we have to get out of this mentality that you can do this quickly. It's something you can do quick. That's not true. People no. are always putting in the work behind the scenes. It's just us that are coming up to date when it's out in the social media or it's out in a news article mm -hmm. or it's out on the internet. But people are putting yeah. in the work behind the scenes. Nothing comes quickly. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's true. It's like, you know, the, the world having like some gratification is something that we have to like just get out of that space because, you know, this is definitely, you know, a marathon or, you know, the tech space, a lot of sprints, right? <laughs> you got to do it to get to where you're trying to go. But yeah, no, it definitely for me wasn't an overnight situation. I think that maybe now people are paying attention or maybe more tuned in. Um, but yeah, I think like that's why someone was like, yeah, you're having, I haven't done, I haven't like searched the surface of what I feel like you're about to do. Right. And so like I was saying recently, like, I look forward to 2019 and what's to come so we can really show people like the technology that we're building talk about the partnerships that we're creating and our team and how like capable they are and how just like strong they are and how like they are like literally going to like reframe how we think about our space like those are things that excite me <laughs> like raising capital wasn't fun that wasn't exciting I didn't pat myself on the back for that <laughs> but I mean let's bring up some of your stats that you have so you're the first black female tech entrepreneur in New Orleans to raise two million so Congratulations on that achievement. Thank you. Like something big to, that is something to celebrate. I think that we yeah, don't celebrate. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> you know, I think like first were cool, right? But like Journey of Raising Capital was like exhausting. And it was just like, I read an article somewhere about found that she had raised a couple million dollars as well. Mm -hmm. um, and she said the same thing I said. She was like, this is for the birds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> This wasn't no joyous occasion. I didn't pop no bottles. You know what I mean? It was like, it wasn't a joyous occasion. It was like, this is a necessary evil to get to us where we need to go. And it's like, you know, my parents didn't pat me on the back for getting my college degree because it's like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. And so, mm. although I don't think I had to take the time to reflect and be like, thankful or like, proud that you're opening door I think like I'm more excited that I could have pushed like open the door for the next black female startup founder in New Orleans right and mm -hmm. now I have 
the contacts to introduce more Black founders in New Orleans to investors. Like, that's what I feel, like, proud about. Well, and then I also have to ask, because, you know, there's a lot of people, especially Black women, who are in the startup scene. They can't find funding. So I'm going to have to be blunt and ask, how did you do it? So, you know, being in the South in general, it's like, it's an extra layer, an extra barrier, for sure. Um, a friend of mine, he's in San Francisco. He's raised capital. and He's from New Orleans originally. And he was like, yeah, it's one thing being a black woman raising capital, but being a black woman and you're still like you stay at home to do it. And that's like, you know, kudos to that. Um, but for me, I had to go to San Francisco. I had to go to New York. I'm in New York right now. And I had to do all these things, you know, to make it happen. I think that introductions are so important. And so when I first went out for capital, you know, my head was down. I was working. We were building traction and building a company and building and just really focused on revenue. And so when I was like, okay, you know, we have something here. Like, we probably need to go out and raise capital. And so I didn't know anybody in the tech world. And I thought I had to build this network up through my other company. It wasn't technology. It wasn't tech. So I didn't know anyone in the tech world. And so when I went out to raise, I was like, okay, I have to And began building the relationship that I didn't have. And what I realized very quickly, it was all about relationships. <laughs> it was all about who you knew. It was all about who introduced you and who liked you. And it was just something that I was kind of taken aback from because I felt like, oh, here's a product. Here's a, uh, here's a market I've defined. Here's how we're going to make this revenue. Here's the revenue that we're already doing and the product we've already deployed. It shouldn't be this hard for me to raise capital. When people are raising capital off of IT. <laughs> um, but it was. It was Extremely hard. And that was like a very humbling experience because no one cared about what I had done previously. They didn't care about my experience. They didn't, they didn't care about anything. So when I'm out here on the coast and East Coast raising capital, people are dismissing me because off the street, they probably thought they would never see me again. Right. I'm just going to go visit here back down south where I'm from. You know, right. they're not going to see me in their uh, circles in Silicon Valley or, you know what I mean? But yeah, there I was. <laughs> and I think a lot of fun is because people think that they're not going to make it. And so I think there's like a lot of things that are probably undiscussed uh, when it relates to like who gets funny, who doesn't, um, and how some of it's a popularity contest. And I just wasn't a popular founder. I was an unknown founder. And I had to like really break those barriers and go through some rigorous due diligence uh, with investors for them to be like, yeah, I get it. And okay, let's make this happen. I'm like, let's start uh, about my lead investors and other startup following in, syndicating my deal. Um, I was just like relentless when it came to raising capital. I want to note some things because you've, you've obviously spoke about the hardships of funding and the process of going through it and just like that heavy side that you give once you get through the whole process. And you've also been very vocal about the process itself. And I do have to read two tweets that like wore my soul because you were, <laughs> you spoke the truth about funding. So one of them was that you said now having to raise money for a tech company is out of necessity. It's impossible to scale our model without it. I've seen people tell black tech founders bootstrap as a deflection to not invest in their companies. I see what y'all are doing there. Another one, you, another tweet you had was access to capital seems to only be newsworthy 
when we are discussing black tech, although the majority of our businesses aren't even that space. Access to capital is an issue and problem in every sector for minority slash black owned businesses. So after all that we've discussed and everything that you've been through, do you still feel that way today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, like, as I mentioned, like, capital, being resourced as a black business owner is just across the board the case. When I was in the federal government side, you know, black businesses going after federal contracts, having the ability to have the cash to float those contracts was like an issue for many black business owners. Um, not getting like the loans they needed to do that, um, not having the network to be able to go after contracts. I mean, I, like all these things are relative across the board. Um, and then as it relates to like kind of pushing black founders off, yeah, I think that two things need to happen that hold both sides accountable. One, I think that black founders, that we can be educated more about what type of businesses are scalable businesses and are potential venture back ideas, right? And so I do think there's like a sometimes a misunderstanding like what is a venture back idea and what isn't. But then the other thing is on the VC side is that, you know, people need to stop telling founders who do have the opportunity to have or do have venture back ideas that maybe they should bootstrap their company and then continue to bootstrap. No, we know that's not how this game goes. That's not how this game goes. You cannot sell a company with the little, the, the very, very small resources we do have bootstrapped to scale. Like, that's not we have been afforded. And so, yeah, when you can look, when people point to these other companies that bootstrap, yeah, I'm sure you can bootstrap your company and you can infuse $2 million of your own money into it. Right? But that's not exactly that founders of color, black founders necessarily have to be able to do. Then one thing that I want to mention, so when you were just the quote for access to capital, and you said when we are discussing black tech, although the majority of our businesses aren't even in that space, I want to um, elaborate on that a little bit. Because I don't come from the tech space, like I had said something mm-hmm. recently after a entrepreneur in New Orleans, she did maybe $1.5 million in 90 minutes in cosmetic beauty line. Yes. And I made a comment saying, yes, because we're Black entrepreneurs and Black business owners. We're in very different spaces, various different sectors. And so we don't have to just be aligned to think like tech is the only thing that's going to make us millions. When in Mm -hmm. fact, all the Black millionaires that I met along the way weren't in tech. (laughs) They were, you know, they ran uh, franchises, they own restaurants, they were, they own beauty salons, they own chains, they were attorneys, they were in real estate development, you know, like a friend of mine is one of the 1% of Blacks that own hotels in the U.S. And so that's what I meant by that. Like, generally speaking, the majority of Black business are not in tech, and the majority of Black millionaires haven't made their money in tech, right? And right. so I think like that's like just the point that I was trying to make as it relates to you know people kind of looking at tech as like oh like this is like the means to the end when I was like you know do what you love to do like and if it's not tech then it's not tech but if it is then let's figure that out too. And I have the exact same sentiment. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Another thing that you did mention about funding is you previously mentioned the black tax. So explain to my listeners what that is exactly. 
Yes. <laughs> I remember I was sitting on a panel um, with some other VCs, and one was a white male VC, and mm-hmm. someone asked him a question, what advice he would give to founders, you know, who came into the room to, like, kind of ease their tension and um, to essentially, like, get a good run when they had to go out to pitch to investors. Um, and so my comment was, well, first of all, as a, like a black uh, woman, or a black founder going into the room, like you have, you already have to work up to base level. So when you walk in the room with a black woman, you're already down. You already, you already got a couple uh, points taken off from jump. And so as soon as you begin, you have to work yourself up to even foundation. And then you have to really knock it off the park, right? To leave that room with people uh, engaged and wanting to move forward where best to due diligence are to invest in your company. Um, and so, yeah, like that's a part of like the black tax. Like that's the tax you get for being a black founder and being a black female founder out here is that you're already working from a position of negative. And then that's not necessarily the same thing. And that could be the case. That's an example of a white investors, like pitching in front of white investors. But there's no difference pitching in front of black investors. Although you get the room to say, okay, we have something in common, right? Because we're both black. But then there's a whole other side of that because a lot of black investors hold black founders the higher standard. Whether that's consciously or unconsciously, that's like they hold black founders the higher and whether they admit that or not, so overall, from our conversation regarding funding, I think we can conclude that it's a hard experience to go through. It's tiring, and I would say some points of it are almost unnecessary. Am I right? Absolutely. Some of it's ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> so you go through this whole process, but how did you find support and stay motivated during that time? I think that um, you have to just be prepared for when you're going to have that breakthrough. Like you have to like continue, like push, push, push. But sometimes you're not going to find support. I mean, people are going to like support you, but nobody's really going to understand. They're not in your shoes at that moment, right? Um, and so encouragement is always great, but you just have to keep going to people for like that real breakthrough that turns things around. And I think that every time that I thought that I was down, like something came and like turned things around. That is a perfect way to describe the whole process of funding, at least I think because I personally have not gone through that. So I thank you for sharing all of those details because I'm sure this is going to help some of my listeners. Absolutely. Let's go into your black, your woman, you're coming into tech and you, this is new for you. You're a non-technical founder. You're by yourself. What has been your experience so far? Many different emotions. <laughs> uh, many different things. Um, it's hard. And on any like, given day, that. you can feel a, a whole different range of emotions, yeah, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like when I first started, you know, I was like, okay, I need to learn more things. I need to know more about this, this technical background of building a SaaS company, of building just a tech startup in general. And so like, I'm a believer of like, we could learn anything. Like I, I, I believe that true and true. Like anybody can learn anything. And so I'm definitely a huge believer of like absorbing knowledge from other people, from books, from resources, from 
other people's stories and like taking what I need right from it. And my experience as building a second company, there was also a lot of things that I knew about running a company, right? Because I had run a company before. And so there was some mistakes that I didn't make because I knew the operation of how to run a company. And so like those things helped me. But what I found is that, you know, going into the tech space, it was like a different world and people didn't really care. As for me at least, they might care about someone else started to run a company previously, but they didn't care that I had done it as a black woman. You know, they didn't care. It was like I had started nothing and I was at ground zero and I didn't have any previous experience. Although I had almost ten years of experience not only in my marketing but I had years of experience of running a company that had made seven plus figures in revenue. And so, like, the person, the people still telling you you're not good enough, although you have historically proven that you can build a company, right? Right. And not believing that you can build this other company. And so yeah. I think that had a lot to do with being a Black female. You know, I was in a room pitching to an investor, and another person was pitching, and they cared more about this white male who was assistant to a CEO of a startup. Because they liked the CEO of that startup, and he had done, he had been super successful, and so mm-hmm. they were more impressed that he was the assistant to that CEO than they were that I had started a seven-figure company from nothing. You know what I mean? So like that's the type of barriers that you know we have as like black women and this perception and like the things you have to deal with and things that I have to deal with through like this journey. And I just want to end our conversation with a few questions I have regarding things that you've done in the past, but also the future. So hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? But yeah. what do you wish you knew back in the day before all of this started that you know now? So I would have been more network. I would have just been more network. I would have started networking a lot earlier. And so okay. this may be something that people hear a lot, but... Don't begin meeting people and networking when you need to raise capital, right? That's a big thing. And then two, don't be so forthcoming. Like, make sure you build your technology and take your time and do it right, right? So it's like one of those things, like, if you don't do it right the first time, we're going to have time to, like, redo it, right? And so I think that because we are in this, like, we need it now, we need it now, it's like, make sure that, you conserve and that you say you build as lean as possible because if not, you're going to waste a lot of time a lot of money. And nobody has time to waste money. <laughs> so true. And when you're first starting a business or you're in a startup and doing things in tech, it's like you already have that limited, you have limited income and money. You can't afford mm-hmm. to mess it up. You can't afford one misstep. So... Yeah, do your due diligence. Just like investors do the diligence like you, you got to do the due diligence on your team, your developers, your engineer, because <laughs> it will cost you if you don't. Exactly. And when you were going through all of this process, you completed a cohort at the Founder Gym, which was founded by Mandela Dixon. And tell my yeah. listeners about your experience there and in case they want to apply. For- yeah, so Founder Gym, I was actually in the first cohort of Founder Gym. Um <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm not, they're like on their sixth or seventh cohort now. Um, And I've actually 
have referred someone to every single cohort. <laughs> Influence someone to join. I think that um, if you're a founder and you're you never raised capital before, you never put together a deck before, you never like had to pitch anyone for anything before. That is definitely worth checking out and seeing if it might be a good fit for you. And you can definitely, I mean, you can apply from anywhere in the world. So like someone in our cohort was from London. We had people in other countries and all over the country here in the U.S. So it's definitely something worth looking into, uh, particularly if you're like an early stage founder and you're just getting going. Because it's all about learning things quickly. <laughs> you have to learn things really quickly. You have yes. to fail fast. <laughs> And in tech, things change so quickly. So it's like you yes. have to stay on your toes. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. And so for someone that's a non-technical founder, you've come into tech and you're killing the game. What advice do you have for someone who currently has an idea, but they don't know how to make it happen? So I think places like Founders Gym is like a good starting point for people early on. But also reaching out to founders and kind of connect with them. I'm a big person about trying to like set time aside to up and coming founders. And people reach out to me, you know, pretty consistently. <laughs> so I try to set time aside because like I was that I needed to learn, right? And I st- I'm still learning. I still reach out to people for advice and help. And so like seeking advice from people who've been where you are and then like opportunities like training or accelerator. Training programs for accelerators are always good areas uh, to kind of like search. But start from the basics, asking people what, you know, what happened for them and how they got started. And that is great advice. So we've talked about your journey from being a first generation college student, starting your businesses. And I want to know your personal goals for the future. Yeah. So I'm really like big on trying to create right culture dynamics. So it being bigger than like, oh, we're, making, we're, trying, we're trying to hit revenue goals, but it's about the culture we're creating. It's about um, how we're planning ourselves in New Orleans, right, where we're based and what that represents and how we become a part of the community. And so I'm definitely still like community driven and driven by like all these different things that are related to like diversity and certain people have opportunities creating pathways for high school students to get experience. And so I'm definitely driven on things that are bigger than just building a big company. But it's like, how do we play a role in the lives of others in our community and just the bigger, the bigger picture. And I think like that's a part of like me building what I want, like my own legacy to be, which becomes a lot bigger than just me. Also, I just want to say, because we're very similar in both ways. We're both like women. We're in this tech industry. We both have ties to the South and we are both without our parents. And now I found out that you're also an introvert. So we have a lot in common. But what advice do you have for other people who are very similar to us and need some advice or inspiration to get to the next step? I mean, I think like listening to... Your podcast, right, is a start because it's like, oh, man, like, you learned something new about me being an introvert talking, right? And so I think that a lot of times people seem so far away, right? People's stories seem like, that's not my story. And so I think like listening and hearing and just being able to see people and hear from people who are from the same place you're from, I think like that's inspiration 
to me, and I've gotten inspiration from just hearing from people in that same type of, in those same type of spaces. And so, yeah, I think you have to like do that. You have to put good people around you and just not be afraid. I think a lot of people are afraid to try to access people. And I just think that people are a lot more accessible than you think they are. Well, Savitra, thank you for your time today. I know my listeners are going to enjoy all the advice that you shared with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast at Black Tech Unplugged on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review, too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.